there. I have a wonderful guest for you today. You know how I love to bring you like the experts that are out there. Today, I have Wendy Bahare. She is the author of Disarming the Narcissist. And this book, she started, she wrote it in 2008. Her third um, edition just came out with all new material. But it's so powerful because Wendy treats narcissists. And so we have a different perspective than what we usually get here. And she's got got a lot of information. We're going to talk today about some of the signs and where does it come from in a narcissist? You know, are they born with it? Do they have some trauma? Um, We're also going to talk about a very important thing that so many of my clients are concerned about, which is what happens when our children start to show signs like they're a narcissistic parent? Most parents freak out at the first, like, you know, disrespectful thing, and they automatically put up their hands. Oh, no, my child's a narcissist. She's going to talk to us about that in depth today and give us some really good strategies. The things that we are going to talk about, the conversations of what you should say to your children. This is an interview you do not want to miss. And I am so honored and thankful for her that she has joined us today to teach us all of this stuff. So without any further ado, let's welcome Wendy. Hi there, Wendy. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Tracy. It's great to be with you. Well, I am so impressed with your new, this is the third edition of your book, right? Disarming the That's Narcissist. it. That's the one. The third edition. So how long ago did you start writing this? Because I know you're kind of on the forefront of all this. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I've been treating narcissistic people and the people who end up in relationships with them or family members for almost 30 years. And I wrote that book originally back in 2007, the first edition, and it went on to a second and now third edition, and it is in 15 languages. So my little book has gone a long distance. And as you know, another expert in narcissism, this topic has become, you know, like the pandemic, pretty widespread to so many people out there in the world. Yeah. And, And it's absolutely just, it seems like it's, it's, it's getting bigger and maybe it's the awareness. It just seems like um, everybody is affected by this. It, it's, it's, like a, it's like an era of narcissism. So can you just start by telling us like a picture, a brief picture of, of what should they be looking for? What is a narcissist? Yeah, I mean, in the simplest form or simplest language, I should say, we think of a person who is excessively self-absorbed. So most of their energy, their time, their focus, their engagement is really all redirected to self. It's all about self and not necessarily in that way we would think of just in terms of the term selfish, but self-absorbed in that there's a constant kind of watching, scrutinizing, checking, suspiciousness. What are your motives? Are you trying to use me? What are you thinking of me? Do you like me? Am I showing up well? Am I extraordinary? Am I the smartest, the best, the most superior, the most attractive, et cetera? So there's a lot of you know, looking for that level of approval, an entitlement to do as I want, make the rules, break the rules, this kind of you know, also they can be incredibly charming and seemingly very heroic, uh, but again, it's a self-absorbed energy. And that doesn't mean that they, they never have the capacity for good intention or doing good things for someone else. There are those types because 
narcissism happens along a spectrum from the more benign, annoying show off to the more severe, malignant, abusive, aggressive type. Mm -hmm. It's a profoundly complicated personality. But when you think about someone with a lot of bluster and noise and larger than life qualities that are all pretty much in the service of their own ego, this is a this is a tough pathology to try to break through, as you know, and a tough one to be up against because it renders you feeling somewhat invisible or, or as some of my clients call it erased. Mm, exactly. Uh, is there a difference between men and, and women narcissists? Because I hear it and you hear it from our clients. Yeah, it's a great question and it gets asked a lot and it's important. I mean, I, I think there are plenty of women who could give their male counterparts a run for their money. You know, I think we have plenty of divas out there, or as I call them, the divas in distress. Um, but more classically speaking, women will show up in that covert version of narcissism, meaning that you get the extraordinary victim, you get the notorious martyr, you get the person who is making a claim to fame for their suffering. So it sounds like you think you have it bad, Tracy, you don't know the beginning of pain. I can tell you something about pain. I should have the Academy Award for pain and suffering. And so there's this, again, this need, this very self-absorbed energy and this need to be seen and recognized and appreciated for this output of energy, which of course there could be a great output of energy, but it's all about um, this competition for who is the most extraordinary doer, giver and sufferer in the, on the planet. So that's what you'll usually see women more focused on appearance, on their children's performance, on even in 2021, a lot more around domestic prowess, things of that sort. Yeah, and I know, like, as you're talking about the victim status, and, and they, they go for that gold, you know, real victims, like, are so perplexed by the fact that this person that's abusing them is now pulling out the victim card. Exactly. So <laughs> frustrating, because you're like, no, they're doing all that. So, so how do we deal with that? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, in the treatment room, because I'm working with them in the treatment room, it's a little, it's different because I'm the therapist. So I usually have some leverage to be able to hold them accountable. Um, but you know, even in your own personal space, when you're dealing with them and you say this loud and clear in your work, um, and in your videos that, you know, you can't change the narcissist. You may be able to soften the edges. You may be able to influence them to get help. You may be able to lower the intensity, lower the volume, but you can't change them completely. And so I think this is just such an important, you know, issue to underscore, uh, an important truth, if you will. And I think that, you know, what I will do with someone like this is I'm asking them what it is they really want me to know. So it's, a, it's another way of saying, without saying it, I'm not totally buying what's in front of me. I know this is a facade acting as a kind of protective armor for something else that's more important behind it. Usually something very vulnerable that they can't connect with. Now in the personal relationship, it's far more threatening to expose that part of self. And so, you know, partners can just be so damn frustrated by this behavior, but you stand on your own two feet on solid ground with a sturdy back and a very pointed facial expression 
in your calmest voice because no need to exhaust yourself with the wasted energy of anger and fury because that's not fair and instead you just look at them sort of incredulously mm -hmm. and you ask that question you know i hear you but i'm not really sure what it is you want me to know i'm not really sure what it is that you're even experiencing when you tell me this so i'm confused right it's like you put the burden you turn it back to them you're very disturbed by this obviously there must be more to it than what you're sharing with me so it's, it's like, i'm not owning this <laughs> yeah, talking to them with empathy to try to again they they can't really process the empathy but at the same time you're changing your i'm going to scream and yell at them to a more oh yeah absolutely you're changing the dance it's so critically important to send that message that i'm not dancing anymore i'm not doing that i'm tired it's a well-grooved path it's a well-known highway not traveling on it anymore gonna do this differently gonna take care of me and you just you don't you ask questions you return the burden back to them it's their responsibility and you make even if you have to just make a little exit to the other room for the time being that's a statement that says this is going to be different now yeah. you know without having to you know be threatening exactly because when you when you threaten when you yell when you rage because they make you rageful um it just like pokes the bear it just oh it's like it's just the it's the dance card <laughs> I love the dance, um, the whole analogy there, because it is, it's, it's, it's a game and yeah. we end up just sort of going back and forth and, and it never changes until we change and leave the room at, or leave the relationship. A lot of people always ask this question and I know you're an expert at it. What causes a narcissist? Were they born that way? Was it their situation? Were they really wounded before they were six years old? What causes this? Yeah, yeah, this is a this is a really popular and important question too. Um, you know, no one's born narcissistic except in the ways that you would expect a baby to be very needy and therefore very self-absorbed, or an adolescent who's going through the developmental imperatives of all about me. But I, I think that we're all born with a certain temperament. And anecdotally speaking, because we don't really have all the data to support this um, regarding narcissistic people. But, you know, experts would agree that narcissists probably have in their makeup a high sensitivity in their temperament and a, a high degree of frustration intolerance, therefore very impulsive. And when you have a high degree of that, biologically speaking, and you meet an environment that is not equipped to set the limits that are necessary to put boundaries in place that are necessary to really provide the discipline and the consequences that children need to thrive and to live in the world, an environment that very often does not support that need for sensitivity. I mean, the interesting irony with narcissists is that they are often coming from places where they were not unconditionally loved. Love was conditioned based on their performance. They were the chosen child chosen to be spoiled in some cases in many cases more fragile than that they were chosen to carry great burdens of responsibility you know parents living through them or legacies that they had to fulfill they were smart so therefore they 
they were asked to grow up really fast and to achieve without the proper preparation or the emotional capacity to do so. And so there's a lot of emphasis on proving yourself and performing and being super special and successful as opposed to connection and intimacy and, you know, walking in the shoes of the other and relating to another person's internal world. That piece is often missing in the background. Mm -hmm. uh, that's fascinating because, you know, everyone always assumes that, um, you know, they were either the scapegoat or the golden, um, but they, they associate it with the way that they were treated and the things that happened to them in childhood. So, you know, the burden, what you're saying is, is that this was situational and they were put in a role and not taught. What if they had a narcissistic parent? That too. Yeah, that too. Absolutely. You know, sometimes it's the legacy of narcissism. As I'm often saying to a client in the treatment room, you might be the one who could break the legacy. If you could just stick to the work, if we could really get some traction here, you may break the legacy for your children because there is generational narcissism. You have cultural narcissism, you know, with certain norms and values that get affect the child's sense of self and identity, that sense of entitlement in the way they live in the world. But, you know, most of our research, when we look at the background, we try to get causality, supports this idea of a very insecure, shame-ridden, lonely little child that lives underneath this blustering right right and that's i don't say that to feel sorry for the narcissist i don't feel sorry for the narcissistic part i feel badly for the child who suffered you know who wouldn't feel badly for a child who suffered but at some point you reach a stage of life where you're responsible for your actions you're responsible for your self-defeating patterns and you need to do something about it so it's the empathy that allows us to understand what's happening mm -hmm. and then we can confront do in they fact, see, it's necessary <laughs> they see that they are i'll use the word evil but the things that they do hurt people do do they see that or is it just that's just life and and you have to be nicer to me i think at some level they know that what they're doing is hurting someone but they can't sit there too long with that truth because they are so sensitive to shame mm -hmm. and they are so wrapped up in high self standards and expectations and such an internal demanding critic that to sit with that like you and i we could hurt somebody's feelings let's say we did something careless or we were thoughtless it happens we're human right we make mistakes but we could probably sit with that and look at the person and say, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, I've hurt you. I, I can't believe I, that was very careless of me. And I'm sure that left you feeling, you know, a bit forgotten. And I don't want you to ever feel forgotten because you're so important to me, right? There's an apology with empathy, with compassion, with appreciation for the impact. The narcissist really struggles with that ability to be remorseful, not because they, they're stupid and they don't know what they're doing, it's because they can't tolerate the shame that literally fogs them out and makes it impossible for them to own it. So not, what they do instead is, you're hurt, well, you're just too sensitive. Oh, yeah. We I, hurt, I hurt you, well, you know, get over it, grow up. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. They, again, they're, they're, they're shifting the blame, but right. when a, a, a true apology happens, like the situation you just described where you and I would feel bad, apologize, mm-hmm. make amends. Mm-hmm. Um, we change our behavior. We don't do it again, but the narcissist <laughs> seems to just be like, they don't learn when someone tells them they, if they see it, they're just sort of going again, pointing the finger, your fault, you're too sensitive, you're too blank, blank. Um, so the apology and the change behavior, narcissists really can't change their behavior. And that's why that doesn't really work so well, right? Well, they can with help. I mean, some can, not all of them will, but I mean, there's all humans have the capacity to make meaningful changes in their lives if they want to, and they work it because the brain is malleable, you know, and the brain is capable of change. Even narcissists can make changes, but they have to do the hard work. They have to want to, they have to own it. They have to see it. And they have to sink into that chair and do the work, which means diving in very deeply to get acquainted with this internal world that they have and this internal map and all that choreography that has gone into them constructing these patterns that have become so dangerous and hurtful to people around them. It's only then that they can take ownership and begin to deconstruct those behaviors and adapt healthier ones and that's a long journey Mm -hmm. so it requires very good you know evidence-based therapies that are going to work with these types of personalities a very sturdy therapist and high leverage so there has to be consequences something meaningful that the narcissist doesn't want to face that will get them to go to therapy and then keep them in therapy yeah yeah and and again it's time it's time and it's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. Most of the people that go, I would imagine, are going because they're forced to for, for a divorce or they're forced to, you know, a threat of the marriage breaking or something like that. And they give it a try, but they often just still don't see what they've, what they've caused in their life. And absolutely, it's sometimes too scary to open that Pandora's box, I would imagine. Oh, so scary. I mean, the whole idea of an emotional internal world or a vulnerable self is it's almost impossible for many of them to imagine being able to connect with that to expose that Mm -hmm. to sit with that pain Mm -hmm. um, to reflect on it and and even to just really care about this part of themselves because it's often seen as just a very weak quality which is why they see it in everyone else how dare you have the freedom to cry and to be upset that's a sensitivity and a weakness Mm -hmm. yeah because they have a very different rule about that. Yeah, absolutely. This brings me into a really important part of this, which a lot of my clients experience when they've got, say, a narcissistic partner, mom or dad, and they've got kids. Mm-hmm. The biggest fear is that they just see this glimmer, this this freckle of, of lack of empathy or almost mimicking the behavior say, let's say the mother was the one and, and all of a sudden the kids are treating mom exactly like the husband. Mm-hmm. And that just makes their skin crawl. They just go throw their hands up and go, my child's a narcissist too. Oh no. And they're six, you know? Um, so what do we, how can you talk to that point about their fears about their child becoming a narcissist because one of the spouses is it's a, yeah, that this is again, um, so relevant for so many people who are struggling in co-parenting with a narcissist in their lives. And um, this question comes up frequently in 
the co-parenting with a narcissist community that I co-facilitate with Susan Stiffelman and in my own online community, it's scary, you know, it's scary and worrisome. And I often tell parents, you know, a child needs one good parent, one good, healthy, sound parent. Your child will experiment with mimicry and imitation. It's just part of our humanness. Doesn't mean they're going to become a narcissist because they're suddenly behaving just like their narcissistic father or their narcissistic mother. It doesn't mean they're bound for, you know, developing this personality trait. Um, if you're really worried and you're seeing more consistent patterns like this that are unbendable, you know, they seem to be getting too affixed, you know, there's always help you can get for your child. But I, I think better to just continue to be who you are in the relationship. In your home, there are consequences. In your home, there are certain values that are important. You have conversations without annihilating or alienating the narcissistic parent, but appreciating with your child out loud that these are parts of dad, parts of dad, right? I know there's parts of dad that can be a lot of fun, but there's parts of dad that sometimes can be very, you know, scary and upsetting. And in the same way that you don't like those scary and upsetting parts of dad when they show up, you know, your little sister doesn't like it either when, you know, you taunt her in that same way. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's not your fault. It's something you're sort of learning to do, but we can also unlearn it and find a different way to express what you're feeling or know that when your child is aiming it at you, the mom, right? that in some ways it's because you're the safest thing they have. You know, the narcissist is tentative and you're so often children are working to try to keep a grip on them because it's hard to hold on to their attention, hard to hold on to their, their constancy. And so, you know, that frustration, that pent up frustration that comes home and looks like narcissism can just be a child who needs a safe place to ventilate all this anger. And then as the, as the healthy adaptive parent, you find ways to get behind that, figure out what's scary, what's hurting, what's upsetting. And you set some limits, you know, cause you don't want your child pummeling you every time they come into your, you know, into your space. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I talk, I talk to my clients and it, it's when the child does that, it's a teaching moment. Like yeah. you said, like don't automatically put the hair up on your back and just be like, oh, write them off. Because when they, they get triggered by a child's behavior, you know, they can sort of like point it out. Like you said, what you yeah. did to your sister isn't very nice and, and sort of like explain it to them. I hope a million people watch this video because what you just said is so perfect and everyone should have that in their pocket. Mm -hmm. It is a teaching moment. And yeah. instead of automatically, I think a lot of parents freeze up when they see it. Oh, and then they don't teach them. And then it, it doesn't get stopped, almost like a correct. If your kid was brushing his teeth wrong, you would correct him, right? Exactly. So it's like, hey, let's let's not let this. Of course, it's more work for the non-NARC parent. And they're like, why do I have to pick up all the pieces? But that's how you're going to save your children, right? Is to Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's a really tedious process being the other parent because you are doing a lot of repair work. You're doing a lot of correctional work. You are, you know, clarifying distortions. You are modeling different behaviors. You are holding accountable. You are setting up consequences. Your home sometimes isn't the fun home, you know, because there are limits and there are there is discipline. 
but it's the home where your child will eventually, you know, over time, these little seeds in the soil will sprout and you have a child who's at least prepared to live in the world based on the experiences that they've, they've gotten from you. And, and it's also a, an opportunity to teach them emotional resiliency. Yes. And, you know, yes, it does hurt. And, you know, this is, especially if they're with, uh, we're using the dad in this, this example, but it could be mom, yeah. but like, you know, when they go off with dad and he does something that upsets you or says, you don't have to do your homework, the kid can be empowered to go, but daddy, my grades, you know, instead of allowing that teach your child to speak up and have a voice to say, I need to have this done for tomorrow. And I'd love to play video games with you, dad. But if the child becomes more of their own advocate to mm -hmm. up for themselves, yeah. that's another tool that when they go there, they're not just rolled into having to be complicit with the, the narc parent right. and go along with them, but to actually be empowered to go, that's not going to work, dad, mom, this is how I need to do my homework or whatever it is. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a beautiful example. And yeah, I completely resonate with that and share that with my clients too. you know, help your child reclaim their voice, make sure they have a voice, you know, so many of the, the women, mostly women we talk to who have lost their voice in the face of a narcissistic other and they've forfeited their rights for a period of time and they're just beginning to suddenly start to thaw, you know, and they're beginning to reclaim their rights and reclaim their voice and, you know, share that with your child and, and help them manage their expectations because daddy may not respond well to what you say, but that's okay because I want you to feel proud of the fact that you spoke on behalf of yourself and you have the right to do so. doesn't matter what daddy does on the other side you have the right to do so. Of course, I put a caveat in there that if it's a lethal situation, and dad is very abusive, that's a different story. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in most cases, you know, dad will just roll his eyes or would your mom tell you to say that? Or, you know, we'll sort of storm off. And, you know, you help your child to sort of prepare for that outcome so they can ride the wave. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And also, you know, if, if the child is in that situation, as you were des describing, you know, daddy in our example is like, oh, you just sound like your mother, you know, mm -hmm. and now the child is conflicted. And so it, it's, it's a, it's a, it's another dance. It's another yeah. dance to teach them. And um, I think that as young as they can be to start to journal their feelings yeah. and feel like they have an outlet, even if they're there, empower them to, you know, feel safe when they're at your house, regardless of having to do homework and doing their own laundry or whatever they have to do, what they don't have to do at the Disney house. Um, you know, it's, it's important for them the parent that is the stable one to just really build that child and, and sort of put up, you know, get them to therapy. If you really think, and you're concerned about this, yeah. um, get them into some therapy as soon as you can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or anything else about kids that you want to add that we've missed? It's, you know, kids are, it's interesting because I think too, that we want to be aware that kids will go through their own developmental phases. As I was saying earlier, you know, you hit that point in pre-adolescence and early adolescence where there is this kind of developmental imperative to be right. <laughs> you know, I know everything and I can do it my way. And why do I have to have a boundary? And why do I have to have a curfew? And 
you know, this is a time when I think parents do best to begin the, the whole course of action called choices and consequences. So you take into account that this is a developmental phase. And as you said before, these are learning opportunities. These are teachable moments where you can help your child to begin to appreciate that they share the planet with other people, right? right? We all share the planet and that you can totally understand why they good for you that you feel so competent to figure this out all by yourself. But as your parent, I'm not there yet. You know, I'm not there yet. Mm -hmm. And so in my home, we're going to do it this way right now. And I know that's going to make you frustrated. You know, the way that a, a good loving parent doesn't assassinate the character of the child, but continues to guide and steer the child, even through all of the fretting and the harumphing and the scoffing and the slamming of the door because teenagers, right? It's, it's a phase and it's a phase that can appear incredibly narcissistic and you don't want to jump to the conclusion, oh my God, my kid's a narcissist because their father's a narcissist. Maybe they're just an adolescent, you know, that really does need some time and some of your continued energy and deep breaths to, you know, to help them to respect the rules of reciprocity and the limits for their own benefit, you know, their own benefit in developing good frustration tolerance. Mm -hmm. That's like so perfect. I cannot thank you enough. I want everybody to go and get your book, Disarming <laughs> the Narcissist, um, Surfriving and Thriving with the Self-Absorbed. I almost put my Surfthriver word. I don't think you can see it on camera, but I have a word on my book cover called Yes, Surf I know. <laughs> Surviving and Thriving. And I was like ready to just jumble them together. <laughs> should go and get your book it is absolutely brilliant i i loved it it is probably one of the deepest most informative books i've ever read yeah, I so i'm like happy that i finally got it in my hands and i'm so honored that you were here with me today oh thank you what a lovely lovely sentiment i appreciate that so much tracy and it's just been a pleasure to be with you thank you thank you didn't I tell you that was going to be a great interview? Um, she's so smart, so brilliant. Everything out of her mouth was just like gold. And um, I hope that you gain some knowledge. Uh, my name is Tracy Malone. I think I forgot to say that in the beginning. But if you've lasted this long, I'm sure you know because you're on my channel. But um, I hope that this has been really helpful for you. And if you are looking for more support, you can find information on my website support.com. There's lots of stuff out there. And as you can see, wrong hand, my new book, Divorcing Your Narcissist just came out. So go and look for it. If you are divorcing a narcissist, you do not want to miss this either. So that's all we got today. Thank you.